Welcome to Hunter and Craft Radio. Hey everyone, Chad and Evan here with another episode of Hunter and Craft Radio. This week's episode, we sat down with Hamza Khan. What do you think of the episode, Evan? It was great. We uh, we really caught fire kind of in the middle section there. A lot of really good insights on, um, you know, productivity, building routines. Hamza's got a lot of interesting experience with his agency work at, uh, at Splash Effect. And yeah, a lot of really good quotes and just, you know, inspiration that he's taken from, uh, from people along his journey. So um, yeah, really looking forward to sharing this with you guys. Awesome. Let's get into it. All right, Hamza, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We always like to kick off a little bit of an intro, some background for the listeners. Why don't you tell them just a little bit about yourself and you know, how you came to where you are, where you are today? Yeah, for sure. Um, my name is Hamza, uh, and I am the co-founder of Splash Effect. And Splash Effect, uh, we just turned to, we're a young agency out of Queen and Spadina, and uh, we specialize in marketing and communications for three distinct areas, so higher education, institutions, colleges, universities, um, tech startups, young, early-stage startups. Uh, as well as any brand that is just looking to do what we say in the name of the company, just make a splash. Just brands that want to just appear on the scene and really just blow their audiences away. So, so young companies, exciting companies, companies that are willing to turn over the keys to us and say, help us. So you mentioned that one of the things we were just talking about is a big part of kind of the core of who you are as a person is about you know, learning and constant personal development. I'd love if you just expand on that a little bit more, just how that, you know, is kind of the fabric of who you are as a person. Absolutely. And uh, I, it's funny because before this, we were talking about personal branding and, and you described me as somebody who has a kick-ass personal brand. And I, I certainly don't see myself that way. I have acknowledged that I do suffer from imposter syndrome, if you want to call it that. <laughs> I always think that I don't know enough as everyone around me thinks I know or whatever that, however it works. Um, I'm constantly like, am I good enough? Is it, am I smart enough and whatnot? So I see myself as a work in progress and a lot of that came from my own insecurities around what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Uh, I studied initially political science and business at the University of Toronto Scarborough, but against my own will. This was something that was somewhat imposed on me by my parents, first generation South Asian. You know, my dad came from a really, really uh, a bit of a struggle background. And you know, when you watch the, the opening scene of Slumdog Millionaire, like little kids running around kicking, <laughs> kicking soccer balls and jumping and shit and stuff, that was literally my dad's life. And so he came from a place of we're coming to North America and you have to get a quote unquote respectable high paying job, doctor, lawyer, engineer, or doctor, lawyer, engineer. <laughs> and, and, and here I am like doodling, drawing, painting, sketching. And he's like, that's cute. Do it on the side, become a lawyer. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do this, man. And I dragged my feet through a really shitty first couple of years at university. And, uh, it wasn't until I was sitting at the back of a class uh, you know, headphones on, I was probably designing a website or something, and they started reshaping the class to allow for a leadership workshop to take place. And this guy walks in, his name is Drew Dudley, good friend of mine, I didn't know it back then that he would be, um, he comes in and he starts setting up his leadership workshop, and I get up to leave, and he's like, no, 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 you can stay, it's all good, just stay in the background, don't make any ruckus. And as he starts talking, and people start filling in the room, and he's talking about leadership, I pull out my earphones, and he says, he says the phrase that really helped me to understand that you know, university was not really a project, it was a process. And that in, in the grand scheme of things, my life wasn't meant to be a project, it was meant to be this ongoing thing. And he said that people go to college and university not to get a degree, not to get a job, they go there to grow up, they go there to develop personally, professionally, and academically. And when he said that, I was like, shit, 
this is what I've been waiting for for the last three years. And I dropped out the very next day. I switched my major to English. Hmm. And I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what's going to free up all the bandwidth in the world for me to focus on some really cool projects. I could be a mediocre lawyer at best, but I think I have a chance of becoming one of the best marketers um, to ever do it. So, so that's what has led me on this trajectory towards Splash Effect and through Ryerson and the companies and the projects that I've worked on. Sorry, so very long-winded answer. That's mm -hmm. awesome. I love it. It's really good. Um, well, I mean, you've done a lot in your career so far. Uh, you're constantly hustling, juggling all these projects. Um, what, are, what are the best things you've learned about staying productive? Because I know productivity is kind of our core of tonight. Oh, wow. Um, some of the best things that I've learned about productivity, uh, you know, a, a couple of different things, but ultimately it comes down to manufactured deadlines. I'm a huge procrastinator. I won't do anything unless there's a clear deadline and uh, a well-defined end state. And I think that you know, the larger the project, the, the more reluctant you are to begin it. And especially, you know, the four of us are in the, in the business of building other businesses, of building these large brands. And it's such a Herculean undertaking when you think about it. Where do you even begin? Uh, I think back to the early days of Splash Effect. It just has to start small. Like I remember that Splash Effect began in a room just like this on two Evernote pages. And here we are now with, you know, a, a really deep client roster, you know, full-time staff, interns, an office space, and all the success awards, accolades that we've received. Um, and that came from giving ourselves some constraints. That came from not saying that one day this is going to be great. We said that, no, within three years, this is going to be great. This didn't come from saying... You know, we're going to have, I don't know how many staff we're going to have. We're eventually going to have some staff. This came from saying, no, we actually need five staff at this particular stage of growth. Um, really imposing these strict deadlines and these numbers that create a sense of urgency. Um, I think back to this, uh, this law, Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law states that work expands so as to fill the time allocated for its completion. And this is true for writing essays and for building businesses. If you give yourself 10 years, it's going to take 10 years to build a business. But if you give yourself five years, we said between 2015 and 2020, we're going to work our asses off. I don't know where Splash Effect's going to be in 2020. I just know that I've defined what that success state looks like. And, hmm. you know, every day between now and then is a hustle. That's so interesting because, like, when I started, uh, I, I always think back to my uh, first experience with a startup running uh, ePROF. And it's so clear to me now that having that future vision and being able to really, you know, look at the big picture because startups are such a grind, right? Like you have to, if you're diving into it, I dove into it completely on a whim, right? I was like, yeah. oh, this is, you know, going to be a cool project and whatever. And, but you don't realize until you're in the thick of it, you're, you know, a year and a half in, you're like, Jesus Christ, like mm -hmm. if I really want to do this, this is an eight year journey, right? Absolutely. They always say like, you know, a liquidity event, if you want to sell your company, yeah. takes between, you know, at least six, eight years, right? Easily, so you easily, need to yeah, be yeah. able to kind of uh, dedicate yourself to that. So let's let's unpack Splash Effect a little bit more sure, sure. to understand, you know, I guess the genesis of that business, exactly what you guys do. And also the, the big thing of this podcast being extracting learning, right? So that's a really right. interesting thing that you've done building a services business where you're, you know, doing it's project to project, that type of thing. So I'd love if you could, you know, unpack a little bit more of what you guys do in terms of those actual services, some of the projects you've worked on, and some of the best things you've learned. Absolutely, wow, so much to say over there. And, and just before I dive into that, um, you know, this whole idea of, of, of the startup being a grind, I, I love that you said you know, it, it takes time, and, and what you suggested and what you hinted at was 
Um, there has to be a certain level of resilience that comes into play. Yeah. I, I think that the four of us here at this table, uh, we're leaders in our respective industries. And, and what does that actually mean? I think that means we're able to see further than the average person. And the average person probably sees maybe like three months, a year, a couple of years out. I think all of us at this table are able to visualize success maybe 15, 20 years down the road. And that gives us the, you know, the grit and, and, and uh, you know, the gusto to actually push through the really dark and down periods. And when Splash Effect began, the ambition was very simple. It was uh, myself and my business partner, who was actually my predecessor uh, at Ryerson. Uh, we were both pitching for the same business at Ryerson. So we had our full-time jobs, but we were also freelancing on the side, trying to afford the nicer things in life, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, we both walked into a pitch together, and I was like, oh, shit, dude, you, you freelance? And he's like, yeah, you do too? I was like, we just started shooting the shit, and it turned out that it was a, a bit of a yin-yang situation. I, I could execute like nobody's business. I had a really, really tough time dealing with clients. I remember one of my first freelance clients was the only freelance client I had all year. <laughs> and I think I, I, I think I lost money that year. I, I ended up paying the client uh, so bad, so bad. I just I didn't have the backbone to say no. I didn't know how to define scope properly, negotiate. Yep. But this, what, the website looked beautiful. Uh, <laughs> on the other hand, my business partner... Uh, could not execute for the life of him, but this guy's like a pit bull. Like, this guy will walk into your office if you're 30 days overdue and bottle you over the head. <laughs> and I was like, okay, shit, you see, you see what's going on over here, right? I need you, you need me. And so we fused our freelance ventures together, and one thing led to another. We just started securing a lot of business within Ryerson itself. And I think the common theme for us was... Uh, was education, and specifically student affairs. We were both touched by the out-of-classroom experience in a way that um, you know, really resonated with us, being first-generation students, being students who felt like outsiders. Here was a college, here was an institution, a university, Ryerson University, where we met, that provided us with this space and place to grow. And um, we were just so grateful for the opportunity to work with them and build for them. And one thing led to another. We started blazing a trail all across Canada. We spoke at conferences, and we shared the successes that we had within Ryerson. You know, that led to business with U of T, then Seneca College, and now we work with major colleges and universities across the country. We're talking to colleges and universities in the States as well. Um, and that gave us the, the, the capital and the momentum to actually build a platform by which we could then give the same level of service, um, products and offerings to other brands. Um, it's sort of a blend and lead approach. We, 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 we begin with higher education, we begin with education, but that extends very well into the product space. That extends very well into companies that have education as a mandate, that have training and workshops as a core of their business. Cool. Well, you, you talk, you've written and talked a lot about saying no. And I know you brought that up a little bit ago, and I'd love you to talk about that a little bit, you know, what that means, how that's obviously driven productivity and other things in your life. Absolutely. A really good example, I was just talking to one of my community managers before coming over, and one of our clients insisted on putting out a tweet that uh, did not have any links to it, was just poorly formatted, and uh, this client, uh, this, the point person was fairly high-ranking in the organization. And uh, I watched my community manager just like, almost pull her hair out. She's like, I, I don't want to put this out there but it's coming from the C-level executive. And I said, you know what? This is a time where you have to say no, and it has to be a respectful no, and I'll tell you why. They're paying us to make better decisions for them. Ultimately, as a service-based agency with subject matter experts, we're getting paid so that we can help you avoid stupid decisions like this. Um, but there's a way to go about it. You don't have to be abrasive. You don't have to say, no, we're not going to do this. I think that that's, uh, you know, uh, that's asking for trouble, and that's asking for a damaged relationship. I think that you have to say it in a way that's, that's structured. It's, we can't do this, unfortunately. However, uh, and these are the reasons why we can't do it. However, these are some other 
approaches to achieving the same outcome. And I think that a lot of times people confuse outputs with outcomes. Um, and it's very important to focus on the outcomes. You can have any number of outputs that lead you to that same outcome, but the outcome should be clear. And if the outcome for this client in particular was about raising profile and awareness, we didn't have to go about it in the way that was being suggested. So in a, in a, in a long way, uh, long-winded way, I'll come back to I'll come back to what you said, Chad. Uh, I had a tough time learning how to say no, and it wasn't until I read the Steve Jobs quote that a company is defined by what it says no to as much as it is defined by what it says yes to, more or less along those lines, that I realized that yes, I mean we are the sum total of the of the decisions that we make and the experiences that we have, and and so many companies, and especially early on in the days of Splash Factor, even when I was starting my own freelance business, my inability to say no ultimately led us into some places that didn't make us happy, mm-hmm. and. Why would you? Why would you do that to yourself? Right? Yeah. Why, why would you do something that doesn't make you happy? Well, I think every company. I know I've ran into this in my career in general, and in every case, really, in every company I've been part of, it's that you're always so eager for new business. You're eager yep. for growth. You're eager for new revenue and all that stuff. And if you just purely think about it from from that lens, you you're going to do deals or agreements that are not going to benefit the business long yep. term. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to do that. And in, in you become business, resentful, and you just start you hating. Think, your, yes, hating yeah, you're not prepared to say no or we need to readjust this or renegotiate this sure. you're very eager certainly in a startup phase to just Absolutely. take on anything you can get and I think that's a huge mistake and I think part of you know even our discussions we've had on this podcast are around a lot of this stuff right but the main idea being that if you're going to get into a mutually it needs to be mutual right it needs 100%, to be something right. that is there and, and you need to have on paper that you can say no and that you you can you know push back because it has to fit there in the middle, and, and I, I imagine, like especially in the early days of Post Beyond, like you guys, yeah, you guys are you guys are you know hitting home runs right now with the clients that we've talked about. But I imagine in the first couple of months, you would take on anybody and anyone that wanted to use the product. Point, right? We're still at that point. Really? Like from a capacity planning perspective, it's like, I mean, it's so difficult because you know to your point about what you were saying at your previous startup, where like you know just trying to get, you, we want to get these sales so we can get investors and that type of thing. I mean, it's. You know we're we're doing very well, and not to knock it, but like it's so hard, the capacity planning and having, you know, the right amount of people in the you know the different departments from CS to sales and having that all work so cohesively yeah. so that you know we can take on For that sure. next deal and that next deal and that next deal and service the clients as well as we need Absolutely. to and develop the product as quickly as possible. I mean, it's a very uh, inexact science, and especially where you know we're all kind of we're doing this. Um, you know, not for the first time, but I mean, our, our founders are first time founders and this is the first time we're all really going through the trenches together mm-hmm. and building this high growth SaaS business. I mean, it's difficult. Right? It's I imagine, I, I think maybe this is where, where like the traditional definition of, of sacrifice comes in. Like what is sacrifice or compromise other than deferring or diminishing long-term happiness, sorry, short-term happiness for some long-term uh, gains, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, what you guys, I totally get where you guys are and we're in a very similar position. I can't, I can't sit here and tell you that we're, we have, you know, uh, we're locking in our clients. Like we're all, our doors are open. Like we need to continue to grow and build this business, and that means sometimes taking on clients that are not meeting our exact price points, but are coming in close enough where we know it's going to be painful in the short term. But in the long term, we're going to pad our bank, build up resources to hire more people, uh, you know, get more re- get more you know, toys and, and whatnot. So, so how do you guys structure your team then, in terms of like being a services business? You've got you know your I guess your sales guys, your developers, designers. Mm-hmm. Like how how does that work? Yeah, it's a, a classic case of, of people wearing many different hats and developing um, competencies uh, with every with every staff member to be able to take on any number of projects and help out even piecemeal with things. Um, the, the core focus of our team is design development, so some designers, 
developers, but then a large focus of that, uh, concurrent to that, is uh, community managers, marketers, digital strategists, folks who work in PR. Um, when we think about what it is that we do in a sentence, is we animate the presence of our clients. Uh, they have these companies, they have organizations, brands, events, and whatnot, and our job is to amplify that. Our job is to give them a microphone, and sometimes that looks like a social media playbook, sometimes it looks like social media community management, sometimes that's a website, sometimes it's all three, sometimes it's even bigger than that. Um, it's any number of solutions that will ultimately, any number of outputs that will ultimately lead the client to the same outcome, and the same outcome is um, increased profile, increased awareness, increased reach, um, and that's what we do. And so the team is very multidisciplinary in that way. Gotcha. So, and, and Chad can speak to this a lot from your like deal structure perspective. The one thing that we're trying to figure out now is, you know, how do we structure these deals effectively so that, you know, in, I mean, we've, we service the client and, and kick ass in year one, and then year two, we look at, you know, uh, we have kind of a recurring revenue model. Like, a, like how do you guys uh, structure your deals? Are you looking at like, one-year engagements, three-year engagements, like how, how does it, how the projects grow, that type of thing? Great question. So some of some of our longest-standing clients began with three-month contracts. Um, I think one of our one of our longest-standing clients is the Ryerson MBA program. We said that over the course of three months, like two and a half years ago, that we would help you to get your social media presence off the ground. We would write you a playbook, build you an editorial calendar, and manage it up until a point where you can do it yourselves. And we got to that point, we said, you guys are doing a good job, keep it going. And that just kept on humming, and that kept on humming. And, and here we are, two and a half years later, and we're still managing that account. But our challenge now becomes, what are we doing differently than we were doing two and a half years ago? And so we have to encourage our community managers to think from the perspective of, you know, you're not just an agency providing services, you are actually an augmentation of that team. You are a part of that company's success. And so as much as possible, we encourage them to not be in office. We say, spend an entire day, spend an entire week, spend as long as you need to immerse with the client in their meetings, you know, uh, and don't be afraid to say, no, you are as much part of their team as much as they're a part of us. We are now a joint entity. Um, and, and, and I realize that, that, that maybe that sounds a lot more rosy and optimistic as it actually is in practice, but the client's getting a great deal. They have not just a community manager, they have an entire agency supporting their digital um, for a fraction of the price that they would pay for somebody in-house that would develop tunnel vision. Like you have this community manager, these series of community managers that are not just working on this account. They have other accounts, they have other touch points, and they're always staying abreast of industry trends. And they're, they're, we're nimble in a way that a large institution or, or, or an organization isn't. So that's what some of these, like, that's what the community management deals look like. Uh, other deals like website development, one of our clients is Restaurants Canada, and we're working with them on a series of web projects. And uh, we have fixed prices, but sometimes we move into a retainer model where we're able to work with them uh, for a fixed amount and that depletes itself and work on a week-by-week -week basis. Um, and obviously we communicate well in advance of when we think that retainer is going to deplete and everything is tracked. Um, yeah, it, 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 you know, it, it, there's no easy answer to that. I mean, I mean it, it varies from, from client to client, deal to deal. Totally. Definitely. I mean, let's jump into routines a little bit. Sure, sure something we definitely like to talk about on this on the show and you know what what kind of routines do you have personally to kind of keep you on point oh man uh i try to do the 5 a.m's i try keyword try <laughs> i used to be really really good at it and then a couple of weeks ago i woke up and i'm like why am i doing this like, why am i putting up with this level of pain and 
you know, hurt. And uh, <laughs> I think where that came from is that I have, uh, back then, work was my only preoccupation. That was the only thing giving me happiness. But I'm starting to find happiness elsewhere in, in relationships and family and friends and, uh, you know, just stillness, if you will. And so uh, I've kind of shifted that to like six. <laughs> but when we first started speaking about this podcast, it was a solid 5 a.m. And I would wake up every morning. And, and, and the, the driving factor behind that was having this uninterrupted golden period of, of four hours before the rest of the world woke up where there was no interruptions. I was just running on natural energy, like no coffee, no bullshit. It was just me. Uh, and sometimes I would heighten that by going to the gym, going for a run and I'd come back and I would just feel like, I would feel like I was on speed. It was fantastic. <laughs> and uh, I did that to supercharge my productivity and uh, it meant that when the actual workday started that I was on autopilot, that I was able to solve problems, you know, uh, do, the, do my responsibilities as a leader and remove obstacles from my team's way, take meetings and not have to worry about doing the actual work because I'd already front-loaded during the day. So that's, that's I would say that was my, my number one um, practice, if you will. Uh, the other one I would say was this pom thing called Pomodoro Technique. So I would divide up the way that I worked into four bite-sized chunks. So check this out. Um, Again, I'm a huge procrastinator and I'm easily distracted. That's a huge problem for me. So what I did is I would structure my work as such. I would work for 25 minutes, take a five minute break, 25 minutes, 15 minute break, another 25 set, five, 25, and then I was done. So in that way I did almost two hours of work, distraction free, but in a sustainable way. I think that sometimes you stare at this project and you're staring at it all day. Um, and you're working away at it and you're not actually making any progress but once you give yourself and impose these deadlines these manufactured deadlines and these timelines uh, magic happens absolutely yeah the 5 a.m. thing is interesting I think that I mean there's a lot said with this Tim Ferriss a lot of the guys out there are talking about you know it gets like the whole San Francisco is super into the, the tea and the, oh, yeah, the yeah, yoga yeah. and getting <laughs> real, out there, man. Real deep on that. And, I, and I, I think there's definitely, it's getting your mind right. I think, you know, I focus on that a lot too. And I heard definitely the whole, the 5am club, the Robin Sharma, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. famous Toronto guy that talks a lot about this. And yeah. I did it for a long time too. And actually was, was writing a post and still need to finish it, but writing a post <laughs> about this uh, for a while. And it's, it's, it's super interesting, right? I think it's a peaceful time, right? It, it's about Big mindful, time. that whole mindfulness thing, but it's true. And if you sit down you actually have quiet time to yourself, I find certainly for me just being so busy and all of us are busy, right? right, right. You got a lot going on. It's because you're, you know, a progressive person, but sitting down and actually having, and when I looked at it from five to 8 AM, it's really like the world's shut off still yep. mm -hmm. majority of it anyways. And you can actually sit there and have time to think. And I know, you know, we've written about this recently on, on the site and, and talked about how thinking is, is a big part of what people don't do enough of, right? Mm -hmm. You're sitting there, you're not actually thinking, you're doing all the time and, and output's important, but the inputs and in how you actually sit and, and process things is so, so vital. And I found oh, for me, when I was in that routine, you know, whether it is getting the workout in there, like kind of trying to really get a tight routine and I think following it and staying right to it is important, but being able to sit and think whether that is writing, you know, brain dumping, and we yep, talk a bit yep, about that, yep. but the idea being, how do I sit there and, you know, get what, where my head's at out on paper or crush that to-do list in a, in a bigger way than maybe I had previously? How do you have time for that? When you're getting up at 9 a.m. and oh, rushing man. to the office <laughs> yeah. with a coffee in your hand, you haven't thought about anything. So right. you're in a really bad state. So I think you win your morning, you win your day is what they say. So that's kind of where man. I think that comes in, right? Chad, you, you, you nailed it, man. Like that is my, my current struggle right now. I do a lot of things and I was telling Evan in the elevator up that... 
I'm only recently finding that I'm doing the right things. It's not enough of, like, I, I used to wear, like, a badge of honor, like, shit, I get a lot of shit done. I wake up, and I'm done all my work for the day, and I write, and I blog, and, you know, I, I work two different jobs, and I hustle, and so on and so forth, but uh, I heard something dope when I went to the 99U conference uh, last year, or earlier this year, and uh, this guy got up, and he said, what's the way to, be to beat Usain Bolt in a race? Convince him to run for five seconds in the opposite direction. <laughs> I was like, that is so true, man. The world's fastest man. You convince this guy to run in the opposite direction, and that's exactly how you beat him. <laughs> and I, that, that really hit home because I was like, I, are the things that I'm working on the right things? I have no freaking clue because for the last four or five years, I have just been in one gear. Like, I've just been go, go, go. And it wasn't until I actually took some downtime and really started to build in meditation and stillness into my life that I realized crap, this is actually really important to not just retaining information, but to reflect on it too. I think as an educator, I think about like Kolb's learning cycle. Uh, there's this theorist named Kolb, and he's really seminal for uh, student affairs theory and learning. And he's, he describes a cycle that uh, the retention of information, the actual, uh, when, when, you, when you truly learn something, it's after you've done like active experimentation, it's when you've actually observed things. It's when you've done things, but the missing piece in my life was the reflection. And that just wasn't happening. There was no time to reflect. And I was kidding myself by thinking that reading and going to the gym was reflection. It wasn't. Like, to sit down and actually be still, not do anything, to disconnect. Man, I was up in Algonquin two weeks ago. Uh, no phone, uh, no signal, nothing. And time moves slower. Time moves so incredibly slower. I was talking to my buddies and we're like, how much time do you think passed? And they're like, at least two hours. And we look at our clock, five minutes had passed. I kid you not, man. It was, it might be a bit of an exaggeration, but it's true. And uh, I'm learning so much about myself now, things that I didn't know. And I often ask myself, like, who would I be outside of all of this? Who would I be without the tech, without the business, mm -hmm. without the companies? Yeah. Um, am I happy with that person? And it's only after doing that reflection and taking time to myself that I'm like, you got to pay more attention to the guy yeah. below all of this, not 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 the face of splash effect, so on and so oh. forth. I gotta I gotta make a plug for the five please, minute please. journal too, because oh, yeah. I, I brought this up to Evan and, and uh, to the guys about. I mean, there's I got I got a hold of this about a month ago, and it's I've been talked about a lot, and I heard it through a number of people. But exactly your point, the reflection thing, right? I I had definitely had that problem. I still do in some ways. I'm still working towards mm -hmm. that as a goal, but. To be able to sit down and look at accomplishment, to look at truly the day, you know, even as fast as the day seems to move, to actually sit there at the end of the day and say, you know what, you know, and obviously positivity and looking at positive things, but what did I get done and kind of being able to look at that and reflect? And obviously, Five Minute Journal for those listening, you know, check it out. It's obviously a cool way to get yourself ingrained in that, you know, open up your day, ideas, you can build this morning routine, you know, think about some positive quotes are there, some affirmations about, you know, building up your confidence and conviction yeah, man. and then being able to reflect. And I think that's the toughest thing a lot of people face is it's always in sixth gear. You know, you're always driving that Porsche 911 instead of like taking it down a notch and actually thinking about things. Right. And, and once you start doing that and actually build that mindfulness into your life, then you're going to actually see and feel a lot more confident and feel positive because you're like, man, I'm doing a lot of awesome stuff. Yeah. And yeah. actually, seeing that builds that up and that's where you're going to get that momentum right and that's like yeah big thing that a lot of people can take away it's like so. it's like like seinfeld says about sex man little but often right <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> it's it's so funny you talk about like that 
the problem where you know someone's waking up at you know eight forty five and you know got a coffee in your hand and whatever because that's literally what I did this morning, right? <laughs> it's like, and I, it's so funny. I'm sitting with catching up with my parents last night, and uh, my dad had heard through actually Dave Chilton that I had wrote this post about self improvement, right? My dad's like, "What the hell are you writing about self improvement for?" Like, you know, that's a little bit of heavy heavy topic for like a twenty five year old guy, right? And, and I'm just like, well, yes and no, right? It's, I mean, it's really nice to be able to take a step back. Like this project in particular is really, you know, just as I, I you know, get a little bit older and I'm hanging out with people who are, who are more mindful and who have great routines that they, you know, they're more productive and they're happier. It's great to take a step back and say like, there's a lot of little tweaks that you can make in your life. And since, since like I wrote that post and whatever, I've been making a list just on my iPhone of, you know, there's something little in my day where there's, you know, a small change that I can make to be so much happier, right? Like the, the thing you're talking about, I bought the five minute journal, still haven't used it yet, but even uh, just like reading a little bit, shutting off my phone, you know, before I go to bed, at least for an hour, no social media in bed, mm-hmm. like, and I'm reading every night before I go to bed and it's just like, it's so cleansing, right? And it's, and also uh, writing as well, right? So let's talk about writing because that's one of the things, again, that, I respect a lot about you and like the, some of the great posts that you've put out recently. Excellent. You're doing some awesome stuff on, you know, medium, the splash effect blog, that type of thing. So, I mean, writing is obviously a huge part of this hunter and craft project. And it's just such a great way to take what you're learning day to day, all this noise and really, you know, communicate effectively, deconstruct something and break it down so that it's very easy to digest. Right. So I'd love yeah, you to yeah. talk about, you know, your writing style and what you think makes it so effective. For sure. What you just said back there, like it, it, it's a chance for me to, to deconstruct my own ideas, explore my own thoughts, um, and reflect in, in, in a structured way. Um, I use, I use the 5 a.m.s or 6 a.m.s now. Uh, the first two hours after I wake up, it's what, uh, actually Robin Sharma, as you mentioned in uh, chat earlier, that, that's what he calls the golden period. That's, those are the two hours of your day where you're the most inventive, the most creative, the most alert. And I actually use that to move my writing forward. He also says something called the 9091 um, rule, the 9091 rule. Yep. And that's for 90 days, for the first 90 minutes of your day, do one thing and try to move the needle forward on that one thing. And that one thing for me right now is a writing project. I don't know if it's gonna be a blog, I don't know if it's gonna be a book, I hope it's gonna be a book, but it's just a collection of thoughts around productivity, peak performance, and some of my own explorations of the shit um, over the last couple of years. So what does my structure look like when I wake up? I usually have a repository of ideas. It's uh, anytime I, I have a conversation like this, uh, you know, I read something and I get inspired. I just dump something into Evernote. That's my. It's where I just capture all my ideas. And at the top of the week, I'll look at them and I'll find the one that's really resonating. It's usually something that's that's bothering me, a problem that I'm trying to solve at work personally. And then I'll just tackle that and I'll, I'll explore it. I use this uh, service called Fancy Hands. Mm-hmm. Oh yep. man, I, I swear by this. Swear swear by this product, man. Fancy Hands changed my life and I will just say give me everything I need to know about this particular subject right so this week uh, the one I'm actually writing two posts but the one that I think I'm really gonna take across the finish line is about that idea of leadership that we talked about earlier what is leadership I think it's the ability to see further it's you know as a captain of the ship for you to inspire your team to build the ship and to actually steer the ship forward. And they're, 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 they're in you know, the bottom of the ship, they're everywhere, they're doing their menial tasks, but the captain is constantly reminding them that we're gonna end up on this shore, and this is what that shore looks like. It's gonna be beautiful, there's gonna be sunshine, there's gonna be sand. It's keeping them inspired and being able to have that vision. So 
I, I went to them and I said, find me everything there is to find about this particular subject. And they came back with a beautiful quote by uh, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, I believe that's his name, I butchered <laughs> it. But he said that very thing. He said that, uh, I'm paraphrasing, he said that if you want to build a ship, don't ask people to gather wood, don't give them tasks, but instead convince them to long for the endlessness of the ocean. And I was like, oh man, that is it right there. So I started writing a post around that. So what does that look like? An actual, like actual, uh, the tactics of writing. Uh, I do this thing called a brain dump and I got this from my editor at 99U when I was writing for them. She's like, hook, problem, solution, quote, deep dive, conclusion, call to action. If you read any of my posts, you see them structured like that. Sometimes I'll even be blatant and just separate them by, by um, uh, paragraph. But it more or less is like the essays that we used to write in college and university, man. You start with this really compelling thing that I grab you with, which is a hook. It's usually a stat. It's usually a quote. It's usually an anecdote. And then you outline a problem that you're going to help the reader walk through. And the problem right now is... Uh, it's a couple of things it's like what is leadership and what should you expect of your leadership and then I go into the solution here's a solution that I'm going to posit and then I spend the body of it actually talking about that substantiating it and the deep dive thing was really cool the deep dives where you actually critically engage with your thesis and you hmm. critically engage with your idea and you try to challenge it and you try to refute it but in doing so you only strengthen your idea and then you ultimately leave with your reader you leave your reader with something that they can take away and so in that way I try to make my writing as utilitarian as possible and I'm not going to, I can't lie, like it, I've been doing this very formulaic approach to writing for a while and it's getting a bit tiring. I love doing it and I love it when people tell me that, man, I, I met someone random on 10,000 coffees and she's like, I've been reading your shit for a very long time and I practiced this, this and that. And I'm like, oh man, even I stopped practicing that. That's awesome that you're still <laughs> doing it. But I think I want to get to a place where I'm writing in a more free form way. I just want to, I want to do sort of the writing that I hinted at earlier, which is just reflecting on things. Uh, I, have, I have so much clutter and chaos up here and I just need to organize. I gotta defrag my own brain, if you will. Gotta get you writing on Hunter and Craft is what we need to do. I'm down, man, I'm <laughs> down. I was, uh, I was on the site earlier today. I, I was telling you guys before this, uh, before we started, that uh, A, it's a beautiful site, but B, I really appreciate what you guys are trying to do. Like that perfect intersection of productivity, startups, entrepreneurship, like that that that, that triangulation is, is, you know, the stuff that I say that I talk about and I do talk about all the time, so I love it. Down. Love it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Asana? Because I know you guys oh, have that recently. We love big fans of Asana over here. How did you get a, end up getting involved with those guys? I, I've been, uh, been, a, been, a, been a bit of a groupie for Asana. <laughs> I'll just say that. Like, uh, Man, I think I've tried out actually every single productivity platform out there. When I first, before when I was a lone wolf, before I joined any company, I used to use this app called Things on my Mac, which is just perfect for a single user. It, was, it had the GTD getting things done framework. Then I joined a team and my team was like, use Action Method by Behance. And I used that and it was a piece of shit. Sorry, Behance. <laughs> and then they turned me on to Basecamp and I'm like, okay, great. I'm, I'm happy with Basecamp, let's stick with this. And they were like, no, it, it's, it's too much for us. It's too much. Let's move over to Trello. And we went to Trello and they're like, it, it, it's way too much for us. We need something more simpler. And I, by the end of it, I was just like, guys, here's a top 10 list of all the different products that we could use. We're gonna use Asana, it has Google integration, works with Google Drive, let's do it. And one thing led to another, and I just really started to almost upload my entire life to Asana, where now I have, you know, Splash Effect, I have my side project, my personal section is, is short of saying, like, inhale and exhale, everything else is in there, <laughs> everything else is in Asana. Man, I don't know what I would do. I, I think I would start my day and be like, oh, if I didn't have Asana on me, I, I, I legit wouldn't know what to do. And I got really excited about it. Uh... 
And I, I looked into what Asana meant, and then I found out that it was actually a name. Uh, you know, it's an Irish name, but it's also a, a South Asian name, and it means peace and calm and tranquility. And I joked about it one day on Twitter. I'm like, I love Asana so much, I'm going to name my daughter Asana Khan. <laughs> And they got a kick out of that, and they DM'd me like that was hilarious. Like you guys, I, I, we've been watching you for quite some time. Uh, you, you're crazy, but we, we want to reward you for this, right? Give us your address. We're going to send you some stuff. And so they sent me a package, and I was just, that was pretty cool. And then I responded back and I'm like, thank you for this. Uh, you know, just out of curiosity, I see you guys have a blog, this work style blog. I'm writing for 99U. They reject a lot of my posts because a lot of them are super tactical, and a lot of them are about to dos. You know, I have some throwaways. Can I give them to you? And they're like, yeah, for sure. So I, I merged a whole bunch of throwaway posts together. And I gave them one. And that became the number one post on, on work life. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, hey, man, I, I got these for days. Like, let, let's, let's talk. And so I, I crank out now about three posts a month for them. And it, they give me free reign. And it's, it's almost scary. That like, comes to write about whatever you want. Just, just come back to us with some ideas. And so I'm really running, I'm really running with this. And uh, I, I have to boast for a second, man. I just got to... Take the dirt off my shoulders. No, I have I have early <laughs> access to the new Asana interface. Oh. I'm probably one, one of the few people on the planet that has access to it. You sly dog. I know. I'm saying <laughs> it's, it's incredible. The unicorn, man. You saw you you seen the unicorn like the the bird, right, on Asana? No. So go into hacks and enable this shit. Whenever you cross <laughs> off tasks randomly, a unicorn will jump across your screen, and it will have like rainbows and glitter. It's it's the it's the weirdest shit ever. <laughs> But trust me, when you had a bender and you cross cross multiple tasks that multiple unicorns will run across, I'm, I'm you got I'm I'm losing you guys. At this point. <laughs> no, that's let's bring it back. That's amazing, man. We but yeah, that's that. uh, I'm hoping that uh, so so what, while I got paid to do the 99U writing, I'm not getting paid to do Asana, but I might try and uh, wiggle some some free pro accounts out of them. So dude, it's amazing. If you guys are listening to me, Casey, if you're listening to this, you know, giving you guys all this traffic, it would be nice if you gave me. Uh, discount or some free memberships <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's talk about like because that exact thing that's a, a big thing that I would love to do as well and that's inspiring to hear that you know how that um, has materialized because you know everyone talks about guest blogging it's an amazing way to you know grow your personal brand and, and just get more exposure right obviously Asana has a, a really huge subscriber list and that type yeah, of thing yeah, yeah. right and that you know your personal brand aligns very well with what they're doing as a company right so tell me a little bit about you know, your personal brand and kind of how you've gone about building it. And, you know, obviously you're a big hip hop guy as I'm as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. some of the inspiration you've taken from some people you've seen uh, who've done some great things. That is a great question, man. Um, crap. I, I don't have all of the answers. I just know that I think I'm in a moment right now. And, uh, man, I was watching this Oprah interview with Tom Ford and he's like, everybody once in their lifetime, there's a window and it opens up and that window just moves and it's there for 15 seconds. And you can choose to do whatever you want. You can do nothing. You can really make the most of it. But that window is unforgiving. It's going to pass you by. There's nothing you can do to slow it down. Um, and I think about, you know, like you mentioned hip-hop. And I think about, like, the Drakes, 50 Cents, the Jay-Zs. They all, when you, you can look back at their careers and see that they have these moments and they pass them by. Drake's in a moment. A lot of the artists that we're listening to right now, Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, whoever it is. And I feel like in my own little way, I think I'm at the beginning, the middle, the end. I don't know. But I feel like I'm in a moment where... It's really cool. Like I, I write things, I say things, and, and, and it reaches people. Not a lot of people, but enough people who come to me and they say, you know, Hamza, I'm, I'm glad that you wrote that. Uh, you know, I'm subscribing to your newsletter, so on and so forth. And I'm figuring it out as I go, but my only reference point, really, and I used to pay attention to a lot of personal branding experts in the beginning, and after a while, they just seemed really inauthentic. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, where am I actually getting my ideas around personal branding? And I thought about it long and hard when you initially told me about this interview. 
and actually just comes from watching a couple of really solid runs in rap, gangster rap in particular, <laughs> man. Let me explain. Like, I grew up watching the whole 50 Cent G-Unit run, one of, one of probably the best runs in hip-hop ever. Lil Wayne's run, like, we're watching Drake's run right now, and I think about what it is that they did, and I think that those steps are very applicable to all of us in this room right now. So I think, obviously, you first have to live life. You can't just talk about things without having actually not done anything before that. So whatever it was that they were doing in their previous lives, they were selling, working in Degrassi, so on and so forth, <laughs> but they had this life and they were doing things, and then they lit a fire in their own backyards. They didn't just jump on a major label, they actually started playing local shows, they started playing at colleges and universities and high schools for their friends and their families, and they built up a little fan base like that, and they gave stuff away for free. The mixtape circuit, man, that was 50 Cent just putting out content every single week. Lil Wayne, remember when Kanye West did Good Fridays? Every Friday you'd get a new track, Bless the Lord, Jesus would bless us every Friday, like, oh shit. And that got us really hyped when the actual album dropped. We're like, okay, we're gonna buy this because we already know the quality to expect. So, in a similar way, I would just write, just write and write with no expectation of return, just putting ideas out there. And I waited for things to stick. And I would write about this and I would write about that. But eventually, I found this perfect match of I like writing about productivity and peak performance, and people actually like reading it. Great. Keep going, keep iterating on that, keep trying different formulas. And then, and then doing really cool things like this. I, you know, I've been lucky to have been invited to some really, really cool uh, interviews, podcasts, guest blog opportunities, and I just took them. I said, you know, what's the worst that could happen over here? Completely bomb it, right? No one's gonna like it, no one's gonna listen to it, no one's gonna watch it, no one's gonna read it, but uh, I, you know, I just trusted myself, I trusted the people that invited me, um, and that just carried the name forward. And I think I'm, like I said, I'm in that moment, and, and uh, I'm gonna keep doing as much as I can up until the point where I feel like I'm a broken record and I feel like I'm getting there and I need to change it up a little bit. Um, and I don't know what that next step looks like. I don't know what that next leap looks like, but I know that I'm having fun right now. I know that I enjoy writing this. The atmosphere, the climate's there. People want to read about it. People want to talk about it. Uh, that's more or less it. Just, 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 just have fun, man. Really, just have fun with it. That's and it, it shows. Like It shows when you're, when you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And you can see a lot of rappers that are in it um, for no other reason other than to get rich quick. Um, and it comes across as very inauthentic, it doesn't really resonate. I think that some of the best work from any artist, from any writers, comes from a place of, I, I really I really give a shit about this. And uh, when it comes to productivity peak performance, this is, I, I know that we're, we're almost running out of time here. I'm, I'm pretty sure, I, I know I ramble a lot, but <laughs> I, I could be here all night with you guys, you know? Like, yeah. Well, on that note, we always like to finish off with recommendations, you know? What, uh, maybe some albums, maybe some resources, oh, where should we point some people? Where can they find you online, too? Absolutely. So are we talking like specifically like, like music? Could music, be... books, whatever you got, whatever you're listening to, whatever you love right now, or okay. so, as well, you know, someone who is maybe thinking about starting a business or, you know, they're just starting their career, they're trying to, you know, get to a point. I love what you said about like that, you know, that window in their life. They're trying to, you know, get to that point where they're, you know, in the moment and really feeling like, right, they, you know, the right. sky's the limit, right? So what are some of the best resources that they should check out um, Absolutely. to get them to that point? So I think a really cool, um, uh, there's some really cool overlaps between, I don't know nothing about the drug game. Everything I know about the drug game is from Narcos <laughs> and is from rap. But from what I do, what I have pieced together is very similar to the hip-hop and rap game, which is very similar to the startup game. Um, the same processes, the same steps, the same types of people and problems that you run into. So I'm listening to uh, this album called Dirty Sprite 2 by this guy called Future. Uh, it's it's the nursery rhymes of rap. Like it, it has that that, that typical <laughs> like that really stupid simple Simon flow. 
but it's so much fun, man. And I, it's, it's probably my, fa my favorite workout uh, track right now. And sometimes I'll go wake up in the morning and have these slow starts to my day. And I'll listen to Future and be like, yeah, that, that sounds like something I'm going to run into today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet the plug today. I got I to gotta finesse the plug, which is like <laughs> hip hop for like, you got to meet your investor, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm listening to that. And then one of my friends put me onto this YouTube star, some 18 year old chick in the UK called Sarah Close. And she does covers of really poppy songs, but the voice of an angel, some of the most relaxing songs that I've listened to. I have them on repeat. Uh, in terms of books, uh, I'm revisiting all of 37 Signals' books, especially Getting Real, as we're beginning the transition um, from a service-based model to more moving into the product space. Uh, I don't want to pretend like I know how to build a product. I want to make sure that if I am going into this, that I know everything there's to possibly know. And I think Getting Real is giving me a reality check. It's like, why are you doing this? Are you doing this to get rich or are you doing this to actually solve a problem? And, uh, you know, it, it, it has prevented me from actually going into the product space because I had to constantly check my own assumptions about it. But I feel like we're at in a place right now where every time I read Getting Real and I read it, you know, every couple of every couple of years, in fact, recently it's been a couple, every couple of months, um, that's helping me to anchor my why. Uh, another book is To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink. Oh man, I saw, I watched him speak at Rodman. He completely changed the way I think about sales. Like prior to him, prior to that book, sales to me was like sleazy man snake oil salesman it's like Danny DeVito from Matilda it's, <laughs> but after reading that I'm like man everyone is in the business of sales even if you don't think you're in sales if you're convincing somebody to part with their resources time energy attention loyalty whatever it is you are you are selling all the time so get over this horrible notion that you have of sales and just embrace it and run with it and so uh, I would strongly strongly encourage people to read that and then where you can find me right now um, I'm having a lot of fun on Twitter, so twitter.com uh, backslash Hamza K, Hamzak if you want to call it that. <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun on Instagram. I'm beginning to dive my feet into, dive, dive headfirst into Snapchat. Uh, I'm not really good at it. I suppose I like, <laughs> can't be really good at Snapchat. But well, you're wearing a Yankees hat, so no one's oh, going to follow you man. now. Oh, man. <laughs> I was so, I had the worst walk over here, like the glares that I got. I swear to God, I had a Jays hat on yesterday, but this is the only thing that went with the outfit, and my Jays hat got dirty. I, I, this is... I gotta get rid of these, man. I, I and I have no affiliation to the Yankees whatsoever. This is purely because of Jay Z. I'm like, fuck, a stupid, stupid decision, especially at this point in the Jays's. Like, oh my god, man. I gotta, get, I gotta, I gotta burn this shit, man. I'm gonna go home. So that's what I would say. Just uh, connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. But uh, where I'm doing a lot of cool things is on Medium. I'm, I'm really starting to write some uh, ambitious piece, pieces. I'm not sure if they're going to stick or not. But these are some of the most authentic things I've, I've, I've written about. Like I'm excited for a, a blog post I'm going to release at the end of the month. It's called uh, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Conceptions of Masculinity. <laughs> oh man, I'm not ready for this one. But I'm really exploring how like listening to gangster rap when I was younger completely fucked up what it meant for me to be a man and what it meant for me to be, you know, somebody who interacts with women and how that has resulted in some pretty toxic relationships and how I've viewed women and you know, I've I've objectified them over the years. So it's really me just examining how uh, you know, not, not how hip hop made me do it, but how I made me do it. And hip hop was just something that I gravitated to and latched onto that uh, really colored my notions of what it meant to be man. It's so far outside of my comfort zone, but I'm pretty excited by it. I don't know what's going to happen. It might be well received, it might not, but it's just something I need to get out there. Well, I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. We have a couple other great episodes coming your way in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Hunter and Craft and uh, sign up for the community on hunterandcraft.com and keep in touch with Hamza, myself, and Chad at Hamza K 
CJK McCaffrey and Evan Lewis underscore. We'd love to uh, we'd love to hear from you guys, and uh, really looking forward to releasing our next episodes. Until next time, take care.